0: Before we read the scripture, I just simply have to recommend to you, I know many of you know it, but there may be some who don't, uh, C.S. Lewis' this sermon, The Weight of Glory. I have it on my desk. I've always had it on my desk as long as I can for decades. It's right there. Uh, I have read it and I have underlined it. Uh, it's just one of the most marvelous things you'll ever get a chance to read. Well, goodness knows I would have loved to have heard it. And uh, if you haven't read it, I'll be a little bit disappointed if you don't read it before you go to bed tonight. It's easy, (laughs) it's it's easily found on on the internet. All right, our scripture is 1 Samuel 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." Then Saul took 3000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold this day your eyes have seen the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave and some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, the corner of your robe is in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it, and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemies, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand swear to me therefore by the lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will dis- not destroy my name out of my father's house and david swore this to saul then saul went home but david and his men went up to the stronghold the word of the lord be to God. dear lord make us eager to listen to the word that you have preached this morning, eager to learn, eager to obey your will, and eager to glorify your name in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to be together. And... Uh, Open this word again. If you remember last week, we entered the wilderness with with David. Uh, Wilderness repeats several times throughout these chapters. Uh, We saw that last week as we looked at chapter, what did we look at, chapter 22, Uh, 21, 22, uh, David is driven into the wilderness, the, the wilderness of En that we see here in this particular chapter. He's in the wilderness of Ziph, he's in the wilderness of Maon, wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. And one of the things that we said is that this is something that is uh, consistent in, in the lives of God's people. Uh, we, we often find ourselves in various wildernesses, the wilderness of of ill health, the wilderness of old age, the wilderness of relational wounding and trouble, the wilderness of uh, financial difficulty. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Uh, what does it mean to go in the wilderness? And and one of the things that we said is that uh, in, in the The wilderness is where God really meets his people. Of course, it can happen anywhere. It can happen on the mountaintop. It can happen in the lush valleys. But if we read the scriptures carefully, we see that it is the wilderness that God uses to, to meet his people, to reveal more and more of himself, to invite his people, to experience. His grace in ways that that we couldn't experience it in the lush valleys, the ways that we couldn't experience it on the mountaintops of our lives. So one of the things that we want to do as we continue in these wilderness stories of David is, is we want to make sure that we're not just looking at David and saying, okay, what can we learn from him? Because David is is a mixed bag, right? Uh, here in in chapter twenty-four and also chapter twenty-six, which is very similar, we, we see David at his best. You know, I would say, you know, this along with chapter 17, where we see David defeating Goliath, relying on the Lord. These these are some of the the real highlights of David's life in terms of his reliance on the Lord. But In chapter 25, which we're going to look at next week, and and really 24, 25, and 26 need to be read together, I think you get the full weight of it, we're going to see David at his worst. Uh, we're going to see David when he is ready to literally commit genocide on the house of Nabal uh, and, and to wipe off every single person because of a slight that he received from Nabal, or Nabal, uh, as, as he is known. Again, we'll look at that next week. Uh, so we don't want to look at David per se, We're going to draw some corollaries. What we want to do is, we want to look at God. Here's how one writer puts it. When we think about this text, uh, we are best looking at the revealed character of Yahweh. And when we see Him in the wilderness, Uh, in David's life as the one eager to lift up and assure his servant, we can assume that he is the same God uh, and that he may be expected to deal similarly with his people today. David's situations, David's actions don't control the application of this text, but rather it is God's character uh, that gives us sort of the, the pivot points, that gives us the rocks on which we can stand to properly take in the application of this text. So I have uh, three observations for you. You see them in the, the outline, God has His own ways, God assures His servants, and God's patience invites repentance. Those are some observations from the story, and then we'll have some corollaries uh, for ourselves in response to that. First of all, though, the story. Uh, this text divides up Pretty easily, you've got three sections. You know, the first section you have the action, and then followed by dialogue, first by David and then by Saul. If you read ahead to chapter 26, and if you have your Bibles with you, you may want to look at that, and you see that it is very similar. Some of the details are different, but it's uh, opening action where David is uh, a spare Saul's life in this situation. Uh, In chapter 26, David goes into the camp, uh, gets right up next to where Saul is sleeping and spares his life, Uh, and then there is similar action again uh, where he uh, confronts Saul. Saul has this seeming sense of repentance, but they also go their own way. So a couple of observations about the story, uh, in the one that we read today, uh, David and his men are are hiding in these caves. We know these caves are large. You remember the cave of Adullam back in chapter twenty-two. Uh, all of the people gather to him there. There's like four hundred people that are in these caves. So it doesn't surprise us that you know as Saul is chasing David in this wilderness, he picks a cave uh, that not only has a place for him to go and to uh, the euphemism in Hebrew is cover his feet. Uh, It's translated for us, relieve himself. So, he's got a space to do that, but David and his men are further back in the cave. And of course, the men say, this is, you know, serendipitous. This is, uh, this is awesome. You know, here is God's providence. He has delivered Your enemy into your hand. But David doesn't see it that way. Uh, David says, Yes, God has promised me the kingdom, but God has also made it clear that it's not my right to lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. And that comes forward, I think, six times in in chapter 24 as well as in chapter 26. Like, this is not a right thing to do. So while that may be the right end, it's not the right means to go about it. And David is, is very firm on that. His uh, then interaction with Saul, uh, he, uh, in this particular story, he does go over and he cuts off the corner or the tassel of Saul's robe when we see these corners, part of why we, we read the, the part about tassels, uh, it, it's very likely that you know, this is what David cut off. And these were very significant for the Israelites. They had that cord of blue in them that indicated royalty. Uh, it was an identity marker for an Israelite. Not only was it to remind them of following God and the commandments and all of that, but it reminded them that they belonged to God. So, you remember in, in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel took away the corner of, uh, of Saul's robe, and, and here we have a repeat of it. Uh, now, it's not a tearing, but it's a cutting. And, and this was a symbol to Saul of, of what was happening to him. If he failed to be who God called him to be, You know, which the tassel reminded him of. A a king who belonged to the Lord, who was to follow the Lord's way. If he failed to do that, he was going to be removed from his office and was even in in danger of of losing his his soul, his relationship with God. So David reminds him, confronts him with that. Uh, Saul sees it. And, and seems to respond, although if you look closely, one of the things that we notice when we looked at First Samuel 15 is Saul is always very concerned about himself. And you see that at the end of this passage here as well, you know, swear to me that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name. Uh, here's Saul, you know, being confronted by the Lord, and, and he's concerned about his legacy. Uh, you know, there's there's some guilt feelings in Saul, but is his repentance really going all the way where it needs to go? Those are some of the questions that remain in our mind. So that's the story. But what do we learn about God as we sort of walk through it? And and this is what I want to spend the majority of our time here this morning doing. The first thing, as I uh, first observation as I laid it out for you, is that God has his own way. And we need to know this because the, the question is you know, how, when we're in the wilderness, uh, what do we need to remember about the character of God? Uh, what do we need to hold on to? What do we need to keep in the forefront? So that we can respond faithfully during those times. Now, when we're in the wilderness, the first thing that we need to remember is that God has His own ways. And this actually has two corollaries that I want to lay out for you. There's only one in your bulletin. The first one is that we have to respond, um, we we have to be careful to interpret circumstances uh, in such a way that we always respond to God's will in God's way. I'll explain that in a minute. And then the second one is we have to learn to wait. What's going on here with David? David has been promised the kingdom. He was anointed probably at a young age, 15, 16 years old. We know that David doesn't ascend to the throne of Judah until he is 30 years old, and he doesn't actually ascend to the throne of the unified kingdom until he is 37 years old. So, we're looking somewhere between uh, 15 and 22 years uh, before the promise that is made to him is actually fulfilled. Uh, that's a long time of wandering. It's a long time to be pursued by Saul. It's a long time, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, to be dealing with the Philistines and the Amalekites and all of these different things. It's a long time uh, for for David to to wait on the Lord. And here in the wilderness, it seems that circumstances have aligned in such a way uh, that the Lord had delivered Saul into his hand. And you see that David's men recognize this and say, David, this is perfect. Can you believe, you know, what the Lord has done for you? Here is this one who is pursuing you. You have every right to take his life. Uh, If you read in in chapter 26, uh, Abishai, one of David's mighty men, says, I can kill him for you right now. You know, one spear thrust and he will not make another sound. Uh, And it's so easy, I think, sometimes in our life when we're in the wilderness to observe circumstances and say, here's the way out. The problem is is that though they may be pointing towards a good thing, in this case, David had been promised the kingship. David had been promised that that he would, would rule that he was the Lord's anointed. It's not the right way to go about it. And David knew that. He knew it in his heart. You see, even when he lifts up his hand against the tassel, against the corner of the robe, he's struck and he says, it is not right for me or for anyone to lift up their hand against the Lord's anointed. He had two things that he knew and they seemed to be in tension with one another. I know, Lord, that you have promised me the kingdom. I know that you are going to fulfill that. But I also know that it's not my place to lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so, therefore, though circumstances seem like this would be okay and this would be the right thing to do, uh, this is not the right thing to do. If you remember, you know, last week we said that uh, this is a pattern for the anointed, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we are all anointed uh, by the Holy Spirit, but it's as we follow in the train of King Jesus. And King Jesus, after His anointing by the Holy Spirit, you know, the baptism that John gave to Him, was immediately driven into the wilderness, and He faced temptations. He faced temptations for good things, bread, bread. to demonstrate the protection of the Lord, cast yourself down off the temple, and then the kingdoms of the world which were promised to Him, you know, if we read the Messianic Psalms like Psalm 2, Psalm 45, others, you you see that the Messiah, the the anointed of the Lord who Jesus was would would rule over all the kingdoms of the world, but… The way to achieve them was the wrong ways. Satan said to him, you can have all these kingdoms which have been promised to you. All you have to do is bow down to me. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, get away from me. You cannot have the right things by doing the wrong things. And this is what we realize is that God has His ways, and and they're winding ways, they're wending ways, they take time, they're waiting ways. We don't always understand His ways, but we trust that the Lord has His ways, And, and, and we trust that we cannot accomplish the will of God through through disobedience. Here's how one writer put it. Although David did not know how providence would work in this particular situation, the circumstances, he did know what obedience required. God's ways will frequently baffle us, but God's will is sufficiently clear to lead us in the meantime. God's ways may not be clear, But our way, if we're looking at the Word of God, is clear. We may wait for God's providence, but we already have God's law, and that is what we need in the moment. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So, the first corollary is we recognize that God has His ways, and His ways are not our ways, and He sees the beginning from the end, and He knows and He understands is that we have to make sure that we do not misinterpret the circumstances in a way that is contrary to God's revealed will. What does this look like in our life? You know, what are some of the things that we know our, our good things. You know, one of the, uh, the things that readily comes to mind is the desire to be married. Uh, we, we have a desire, and, and this is a good thing. Uh, but the circumstance before us is, is somebody whose heart is not aligned with the Lord. A- and they're They're really awesome. And they're really great. And, and there's so much to like about this person. Maybe this would be okay. You know, maybe it's not going to be that damaging. And, and we, we recognize the temptation that is before us in our wilderness of longing. You know, the temptation is to go for a right thing but in a way that is contrary to what God has revealed to us. He said to us, you know, don't don't be unequally yoked. Uh, This is for your good that I give you. I love you. I I don't want you to have uh, the difficulties that you're going to have if you go in this direction. We can have good things but go about it in wrong ways. And there's so many ways we can think about this. I mean, just think about the business, uh, you know, the way that we conduct business. You know, God wants us to be fruitful and to multiply and, and to flourish. All of those things are, are good things. But if we are presented, you know, a, a goal that would maybe include that, but, you know, just, you just have to cut this corner. You, you just have to fudge this truth. You just have to go about it in this way. This is where God comes to us and says, right things in wrong ways is, is bad for everybody. Um, so many ways I think that you can think about applying this in your life. Um, and, and I would just encourage us to remember God has His ways Let's not misinterpret the circumstances that are in front of us in a way that is contrary to the revealed will of God, which will necessitate, and this is corollary number two, this one I listed there, is that we need to wait. Uh, we need to learn to wait. The, this is the, the biggest of our three points, so don't worry if you're like, man, Vandermas is never gonna get done today. Uh, uh, we, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. This is one of the skills uh, of a Christian. Uh, it, it's an attitude of heart that, that we, we really have to learn to develop. We, we live in a society that wants everything. It's not even now. We want it yesterday. Uh, we, we want it so fast. We don't want to wait for anything. Uh, we, we want uh, our... our um, we want our news. We want our our wealth. We want all of these things, and we want them so quickly. We we're just not accustomed to waiting. But waiting is a a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. I think about some of the Psalms, and and you're familiar with these things, but thinking about them in in context of David being in the wilderness and on the run and and how it, it reinterprets or it helps us to get a depth of what is happening in David's life. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Uh, Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. So we have a clear picture of like who Saul, you know, who David's enemies are and, and what this means for David to be put to shame, all of these different things. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Or how about Psalm 37? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. These are verses 7 to 9. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the one who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on." When the wicked are cut off, there, there's so many psalms where we see this theme of waiting come up, and and waiting we have to understand. And perhaps you picked it up there as I was reading. It. It's not it's not just passive. It, it's not just uh, okay. You just sit back and and allow God to do its work. It's it, there's an intention in it. It's it's waiting and, and looking at the Lord. Uh, it's it's waiting. Uh, the way Psalm thirty-seven thirty-four says, you know, wait for the Lord and keep His way. It, it's seeking to follow that revealed will of God that we just talked about just a minute ago. Think about a waiter uh, or a waitress in, in a restaurant. They're, you know, we use that word, they're, they're waiting on us. But that is not a passive job. I know some of you have been uh, waiters and waitresses, and, and you're running. And by the time you're done at the end of your shift, you are very tired. Uh, there is an intention and an intention. You've got to look. Does that person need more water? Does that person need some iced tea? Uh, they're ready, you know, to put their order in. I think they're ready for their check. I mean, you, you really have got to pay attention to what's going on. And that's what God is inviting us to in this period, you know where we would wait on the Lord, where we would be looking to Him, where we would be uh, seeking to learn His way, follow His way in the midst of the wilderness time. So part of our challenge this morning is to understand, so again, this, this is starting with the character of God, God. God knows His people. He knows His promises. He loves His people. His heart is for us to do good, but His ways are not our ways. He has His own ways. Therefore, we must be careful to discern them, not be misled by circumstances, and we have to learn to wait and watch the Lord. Secondly, uh, and this really follows out of this, is that Part of the character of God that we see here in in David's life especially is that he assures his servant along the way uh, that he is good and that he has not forgotten his servant. There there are so many ways in the wilderness that that David sees God at work. We see a couple of them here. I mean, he does uh, bring... Saul right into uh, the very cave where David is. And and one of the things that, you know, while it would have been wrong for David to kill Saul, uh, one of the things that he does learn is that Saul's life is in God's hands. You know, Saul can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And if God wants to bring him into the cave where I am, He can do that. Uh, In chapter 26, David and Abishai go into the camp. Uh, At the end of the the little opening part of that narrative, it it says that um, no man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for all of Saul's men were asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. David recognizes uh, that God is at work, and he he can do all his holy will. He can do whatever he wants uh, with the enemies. And, and that encourages David to say, I, I don't have to grab so tightly to the wheel. I can take my hands off a little bit because God is driving the ship. And, and Saul, you know, the later David's son Solomon will say, In the heart of or in the hand of the Lord are the hearts of kings. Uh, he he controls, he rules over Saul, and David can have confidence in that. David sees, you know, gets these portents, he gets the corner of Saul's robe, he gets his spear, he gets his water jug in chapter 26. These are actual tokens of the fact that God, I think, graciously gives to David, that 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 he has, that the Lord has Saul and, and he's not going to do anything against David that God doesn't want him to do. He actually puts in Saul's mouth, you know, further confirmation that David will be king. You notice in verse 20, uh, Saul says, David, I know that you will be king. David has had so much affirmation of this uh, along the way. Jonathan has said it. Uh, Others have said it, you know, his his cohorts as they've gathered to him. But now his greatest enemy, you know, says that God puts those words in in his mouth. Uh, Chapter 25, I mentioned it's not a great moment in David's life, and we're going to look at that later. But he brings Abigail to him, and she says, listen, God is giving you the kingdom." Here's my point, is that along the way, uh, God is working to assure us that His plans are sovereign and good, and we can see them. You know, and the corollary for us is to be attentive to that, even to pray for that. I mean, it's good in the morning you know, to, to pray, Lord, open my eyes. You know, help me to see today your, uh, your hand at work. Help me to see your promises being worked out. It may be in the encouragement of a friend, uh, gives you a word that, that you desperately needed, maybe that they knew. It may be, you know, from somebody that you, you least expect. We talked about that, you know you have expected allies and you have unexpected allies uh, in the wilderness. It may be somebody that you work with that doesn't even know the Lord, but says something in such a way that it confirms to you that the Lord is watching over me, and the Lord does know. Uh, it, it may be in when when I do a wedding, I, I often use this wedding prayer uh, where um, you know, we pray for the couple and we say, you know, give them a, enough of failure that they'll keep their hand in yours, but give them enough of success that they will know that you are their God and that you walk with them. And uh, and the Lord does do that. He blesses us. He gives us success along the way. He helps us to close that deal that we worked on so hard. Uh, we we see our children, you know, walking with the Lord. There there are ways in which God is so gracious and kind to us. And, and what what this is encouraging us is since we know that God's character is to assure us, let us to, you know let's let's sort of peel our eyes uh, so that we can see it and that we can receive it. And this is one of the things that we do as a community as we celebrate these things together. Uh, and we say, God worked in this way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't he amazing? The last thing that I want to point out to you here in this story is that God's patience invites repentance. You God is not troubled by fifteen years or twenty-two years in David's life, because God is working in David. But God has other; uh, He has other interests as well. Uh, God is working in Saul's life. Uh, Saul was His anointed. You know, Saul tasted uh, the 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 sweetness of the Spirit, but Saul was wandering, and and, and God doesn't want David to kill Saul he 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 is laying out before Saul opportunities to repent opportunity after opportunity after opportunity i don't know how saul ends up uh I, you know, that's, that's in the Lord's hands. Some people, I've, I've read some commentators that, that look at some of these things and see Saul as, as having a sensitivity and, and a repentance, and, you know, maybe we'll see him in heaven. You know, I, I pray that that will be so. On the other hand, you know, Saul, following this, continues to seek out the witch of Endor. He eventually takes his own life. And, you know, there are some things that don't bode so well for Saul. Um, but my point is this, is that God, God's kindness is leaving opportunities for repentance for Saul. Which sounds awful lot like what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. It's, it's his kindness uh, that leads us to repentance. Uh, and, and what I see here in David is David, as the Lord's anointed, wields the same kindness. I mean, David could have taken the kingdom by force. You know, David could have, you know, slit the throat of Saul. He could have had Abishai drive the spear into him and and, and end his life in an instant. But David wields something that is far more powerful than his might. David wields mercy. And he lets Saul live. And you see how this touches Saul, you know, David, my son. They were father-in-law, son-in-law, so, so there was a relationship there. You know, but, but Saul is touched by the mercy of the Lord. And, and when we realize that, that God is working out and He has His plans and, and God is one whose nature is patient and kind, that frees us up not to take our pound of flesh. That frees us up to wield mercy. I, I, I use that word intentionally. Because sometimes we can feel like mercy again is passive. But no, when, when you choose to forgive somebody who by every right you can Um, excoriate, who by every right you can shun, who by every right has wronged you. But when you choose to wield mercy, that's the most powerful weapon that we have at our disposal. And we don't know what that will do in people's hearts. And so, I just encourage you to think about that in your wilderness wanderings. You have an enemy in the office, an opponent, You know, what what is mercy like? What is it like in our families? You know, as kids disappoint us, or as parents disappoint us, or we have these deep wounds. And it's not that these are easy. I know that they are deep and they are complicated, and it's not easy. It's not easy to kill a man, it's not easy to wield mercy either. Uh, but, but God is pointing us in this direction. Here's uh, how one writer put it recently. God is full of mercy, and He bestows this fullness on His children. It's no accident that when the Lord of glory appeared to Moses, Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, and revealed His divine character, He chose to say of Himself, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's stunning. Out of all of the qualities that God might have stressed in revealing himself to Moses, could have stressed his holiness, his sovereignty, his majesty, his almighty power, he chose to highlight his tender heart of compassion. As mercy is of central importance to God, so it must be for us. Be merciful, Jesus says even as your Father in heaven is merciful. We nowhere see this more clearly than on the cross. Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't just spare the life of his enemies, but he gives his own life for his enemies. You know, again, this is the New Testament testimony. You know, while we were yet sinners, while our fist was raised uh, against God, He gave His only begotten Son in order that He would lay down His life for us. Jesus is not seeking to conquer you through obedience, He's not seeking to conquer you uh, by pinning you to the earth. He's seeking to conquer you with His mercy. I have given my life for yours. Will you surrender? Will you receive it? Will it change your own affections? Will it change what you love? You could win that argument, but you could also extend mercy. Will you learn to love mercy in the way that I have loved mercy? How will you become my child, with the tassel of your robe, reminding you that you are royalty, reminding you that you are beloved we 're reminded of this, of course, in the table as we get ready to come to the table and and hear again the the love message of our merciful God. Will you pray with me, Father? we thank you for this word, we thank you for uh, it's uh, reminders of your character uh, as we come. Lord, our wildernesses are not easy. And, and none of us are pretending that they are. David's wilderness was very hard on the run. Uh, he got discouraged. He, uh, he gets tripped up, as we'll see last week or next week. Um, but Lord, you, you are faithful and you are showing yourself to him and revealing yourself to him. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to learn the lessons of the wilderness, even as we wait on you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.